Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast with me, Sumit Bose. Uh, just to make sure some of you may not know what futurenetzero.com is, well, we are the platform that talks all things business around net zero, and we're here to help you on the net zero pathway. And what a week it's been, hey? The Tory conference with Boris talking about green grids by 2035. We've had some of the soldiers delivering our fuel. And of course, we've had the nutter protesters still going and deciding that damaging people's lives, even though it's a good cause, a cause I believe in, in insulation, I don't think they've won any friends. So it has been an interesting week, but I've got a really interesting chat today for you, all about the net in net zero. As we transition, and that's the real key word, as we transition to net zero, we've got to find a way of dealing with all the fossil fuels. We're going to have those for many decades to come as we slowly phase them out. So what do you do with that carbon? What do you do with the carbon we produce in other processes, such as electrolysis or manufacturing? That carbon has to be captured. And that's something we've not been very good at in this country. Carbon capture and storage. There have been many false dawns about this. Other countries have been doing it for decades, but we were going to, in the time of George Osborne as Chancellor, invest a billion pounds in it. It never quite happened. But now the government is set on its course and it's even created a real team at base to look at it. I caught up to the person heading up that team, Alex Millward, who's Director of Carbon Capture and Sequestration Services that the government is trying to put together. And we had a very interesting chat, he's an old friend, about where we are, where we're going, our ambition, and what we should do about carbon capture. Because as many people, particularly on the environmental side of the argument, would say, should we bother with it at all and just invest in more and more green? It's a great chat. Listen in. Alex, good to see you. Actually see you. So for people who are listening who don't know this, Alex and I have been having a relationship for more than a year. Uh, we had a great podcast series last year called Guy Says No, and you were in a different vein, a guest on that. But here we are in life, which is good to, to see. Here we are in the offices of Bayes. Um, just tell us, tell the audience, what is carbon capture and storage? Because it's one of those phrases everyone's heard of, but perhaps we don't really know what it means. Yeah, happy to and delighted to be here. And hopefully carbon capture is uh, one of the ways to get Guy to say yes <laughs> and uh, to keep us around for a lot longer. So carbon capture is literally what it says in the tin. It takes some of the carbon that would otherwise be released into the atmosphere and captures it and buries it permanently and safely in the UK, offshore, under the seabed, uh, safely away, under a geology, which means it can be stored there you know, literally permanently. So it takes the benefits of the hydrocarbon that gives us life-enhancing energy and removes the bits that we don't like, the carbon elements, and reverses the cycle and stores it under the sea. When you talk about takes the carbon out, so obviously we can talk about you know greenhouse gases, methane being one of them, carbon dioxide being another. We all know how kind of the energy cycle works by now, and we know that we produce this energy, whether we burn it or whatever we do right now, particularly with fossil fuels. But what form does that carbon come in? So are you taking the carbon as a gas and you're boiling it out, or what are you doing to, to actually store it? It's not being stored as lumps of carbon like coal, is it? Three types of sources 
of carbon that we've put in. Gas-fired power stations. Yep. So as the gas is combusted in the exhaust flue, obviously a lot of uh, waste product comes out with that, including pretty high intensity and density carbon. So using certain processes and certain solvents, you can capture that. And actually the Science Museum right now has got a fantastic exhibit which explains a, a lot more of that. You can capture that through a process and transfer it in gaseous form offshore uh, via a pipeline and then sequester it, store it uh, under the seabed and you can increase the pressure in that such that it can be stored in a very compact form and under certain pressures and certain temperatures then obviously a gas can become liquid and so whilst in the UK we're starting with a, a pipeline transport method other countries are starting with a, a shipping method which will pressurize it reduce its temperature and, and store it in uh, various other more you know, slurry forms as well so that it can be stored in that way so power is one of the sources so we get the electricity benefit particularly as we electrify more of what we do from our smart cars to our smartphones. Others are sort of heavy industry where they're consuming a lot of energy as well or byproduct is carbon emissions. We've been hearing a lot in the news lately about CF fertilizers and the problem of not having enough carbon for critical parts of the mm. supply chain and the implications. So that's yeah. been you know, very topical. So you know that would be quite a typical industrial process where the excess carbon can be captured, transported and stored, uh, or indeed in blue hydrogen production. So again, the UK has got a dual track strategy for both, yes, green hydrogen uh, fire, let's say wind farm and electrolysis, as well as blue hydrogen, so gas-fired power stations split the water essentially into its constituent parts to produce blue hydrogen. And again, byproduct is carbon, which we can then store uh, away as well. And then the, the more pressure and density you can add in, like I say, you know, the more that, that that becomes more of a slurry form. So you can actually store you know, vast quantities of this stuff. You can capture it in a gas, pressurise it, make it liquid, and then obviously store quite more. You know, but where are we storing them? Are we storing them in what used to be the old oil wells in the North Sea? Are we just putting them in caves? Or, or what's the strategy for the UK before we talk about globally? So UK has got a, a geological advantage. Um, in right. What's that? Around us, yeah. there's geology below in the, the seabed uh, that's very, very well suited to carbon storage. Some reports say that we've got 200 years worth wow. of our current carbon emissions levels as a country that could be captured and stored in and around the UK stores. And yet that's depleted oil and gas wells. And yes, where the hydrocarbon came out from and where, you know, certainly the, the natural gas was stored for millions of years uh, before you know, humans extracted it. So it's got a great geology for uh, permanently replacing what was natural gas with yeah. carbon dioxide. And um, there are some other non-depleted oil stores. So there's a uh, a thing called a saline aquifer, very salty water essentially, which is well suited to then be a cavern that you can store in. You have to remove you know, what's called some of the brine to then make room for the carbon dioxide. So there's both depleted oil and gas wells and non-depleted. And the North Sea around the UK gives us a, a great geology for that. If you think about industries with heavy carbon emitting yeah. Steel industry, for example, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we can then capture that there. And then the other bit, as well as storing the UK's own carbon emissions, we can store nearshore for Europe. So if you think of Germany, who haven't got that much of a seashore, haven't got that much uh, old depleted oil and gas wells, but they do have a significant amount of industry 
you know, can the North Sea also become a depository for their carbon? And then you know, the UK can take a leading role in helping the world decarbonise as well. And when you're talking about taking the carbon out and, and storing it, I suppose that one question is people go, is that safe? Right? Isn't there a chance this carbon could just leak out and you know just start bubbling up and all of that sort of stuff? So that's the first point. And secondly, that sounds like a lot of damn work, to be honest with you. Let alone the science, the kind of you know engineering required and the the chemistry and all of that and the feats of trying to get the stuff down there. Let's take those two points there. It, it, will it be safe? Will it be captured? Actually captured? And what goes into the kind of logistics of doing something like this? To start with safety. So for sure, there are members of society who would say, you know, it's not safe enough. Mm. But the, the technology specialists inside the UK, uh, Oil and Gas Authority, Chief Scientific Advisor, um, as well as outside. And I think it's important to remember that carbon capture has been happening around the world for 50 years. Right. Um, so there's quite a body of scientific knowledge. Uh, Norway, in very similar geology, they've been operating this for 25 years. And so there's a really good body of knowledge around the carbon behaviour once it is stored in there. And there's no evidence that suggests that you know, there is significant risk and concern within there. However, you know, we are certainly thinking through all of those situations yeah, sure. so that it is done safely. Yeah. Um, there is onshore transport, which does right. need to happen. Yeah. And carbon dioxide is non-breathable, but it is you know, releasable and, and needs to be managed. So there is a huge safety focus on, on making sure that that is adequately covered. And, and I guess it comes to you know, the other, what's the alternative? What's the counterfactual? Yeah. Which is a word that I hear a lot more on sort of public <laughs> side. So what's the alternative? What would likely happen? So I think the, you know, the speed and the logistics and the cost point comes against you know, what's the alternative? Um, I was reading a report about Miami, even with known levels of climate change that are going to happen, are, are currently talking about a $6 billion seawall to hold back you know, their community and protect their community. And that's just with already known levels of adaptation rather than you know, continuing to see what happens. When we look at all the different choices to achieve net zero for just the country, just for yeah. UK, and we look at the speed with which that's got to get done and Mother Gaia, how much time she's giving us to do that. And all the science says, get the vast majority of it done by 2030, which is also what the Committee for Climate Change are saying and Carbon Budget 6, etc. Sure. You look at all those different choices and then the alternatives. Committee for Climate Change says, Carbon capture is essential for the delivery of UK net zero. Um, so across all of its assessment and its independent analysis and scientific assessment has concluded that with all the different, yes, with as much wind as you can get, uh, yes, with the commitment which you'd have heard and you reported on nuclear being added in, with the switch off of the nuclear fleet, with the switch off of coal, with you know, no more unabated uh, electrification and power, that it forms an essential part in the time we've got. So the cost and the logistics are worthwhile yeah, because the alternative is just No, I get that. And all safety is, is it, you know, nothing's totally safe, for God's sakes. We, we all know that. But it's, you're saying on the balance of probabilities and cost, it's, it's a safe thing. And what about the logistics point? Because it sounds flipping complicated. A lot less complicated than bailing out centre of London um, <laughs> with, with, buckets. with buckets when the water's around our knees. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm being flippant, but... You know, if, if we don't, the alternative is just inconceivable. So when I think about 
human ingenuity and human ability. You know, we can put people on the moon, we can do amazing things. I mean, human feats of engineering. Where does this fit? We can get a TikTok video around the world. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Where does this fit in the scale of you know, human complexity? Yeah. It's, it's not even in the top five. All right, so the science works and you can say there's a case for it. So let's, let, let's explore it. You briefly touched on what we're on now. Now, if it's been around for 50 years and we've had the North Sea pretty much doing, doing its stuff for all that time as well, um, what's been our history of doing carbon capture and storage? And, and have we actually done much of it at all? Uh, no. In fact, there have been two <laughs> false starts, um, which yeah. industry and, and the proponents for carbon capture are very wary of. You know, the US in particular and North America have you know, got the majority of projects now, much to the chagrin of many members of society, they use carbon capture for what's called enhanced oil recovery. Mm -hmm. So they push carbon into an oil well, they can squeeze more oil out. You know, that's a, in economic terms, pure pound measurements rather yeah. than societal measurements, you know, a value-add activity. Correct. Um, so they've got an economic stimulus for storing it, but technically they've learned a lot through the same process. Right. Yeah. Um, in the UK, we won't be going on that. It's a waste removal process to, uh, to store it elsewhere, so it needs a different economic model. Previously, in the two attempts to get the UK up and running, it was stopped midway through, partly, I think, because of the complexity at that time. Mm -hmm. Partly, you know, I would say, we, are, we as society, both UK and globally, didn't value carbon-free atmosphere as much as we do now. But if I remember the last time... So that it was strikeable. Yeah, but the last time it was proposed was uh, George Osborne, which was no more than kind of maybe six, five, six years ago. So 2015, not, yeah. Yeah, so we're not talking, you know, decades ago, are we? Not, not We knew everything about climate change then. Is it simply because it was just seen as not a popular policy or just expensive? I mean, I remember he talked about a billion quid, which didn't materialise. Yeah, so that was the, the sort of main sort of public-facing money on that. I, I think it was a combination of all those things. There wasn't enough support for it. Right. Again, all the other choices uh, that was being put forward to go through. But, you know, there's, there's opposition now. There's, there's sort of people who say, you know, carbon capture shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't be producing the carbon in the mm. first place to then deal with it. There's others who sort of accept that it might be technically feasible, but it's too expensive relative to other alternatives. Um, so it's not without its opposition right now. But I think the balance of support is very different. The, the global narrative is massively different. Go back yeah. To the airwaves and archives in 2015, yeah, no, true. very, very different. Uh, UK has, in legislation and law, mm. very different to 2015, committed to net zero. It's also, in April, committed to carbon budget six, which is another order of magnitude up. So when things are put into legislation, they're much harder to cancel from a manifesto. You, you said something there which is quite interesting. You know, they'll be creating, as you say, why the hell are we doing this? Because what you're saying is, hey, pump away and we'll just dispose of it. It's a bit like the offsetting argument, isn't yeah. it? I'll do as much crap as I want, but I can just plant a few trees. Um, how do you answer that? Because environmentalists will be listening to this, we do quite a lot of them, will be saying, no, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing anything with carbon. You should just stop it and put that money into more renewables or more kind of, you know, other ways of, of, of doing it that's, whether it's agriculture or whatever it is. Why do you think that, isn't a way to argue it because I, I, I'm sure that you wouldn't be doing this job if you thought that was it was wrong. No, no, I'm, I'm absolutely committed that this is an essential pathway to net zero, and that you know have got common goals yep. to net zero and you know sustaining life on this planet. My view is 
we need to deliver all 17 UN SDGs. Right. If it was just one, removing carbon, and we didn't care about quality of life, yeah. equality, jobs, protection, and all of those things, absolutely. And you know, some of the more extreme people of their views and their sort of extreme in their you know, uh, resistance to carbon capture would quite happily support a degrowth agenda, yeah. reduce the economy, Correct. shut the industries yep. that can't yep. um, utilise wind power, accept the job losses and manage the transition. You know, I, I think that is a valid pathway. I just don't think you'd get support for that pathway from the majority of people who do want life-enhancing energy, who do want yeah. quality well, I, of jobs I, being be, needed. You'll be very, very balanced. They're <laughs> hardly saying that's stupid. No, no one's not going to give... No one's going to do these things if they have to give up. You know, you, you have to deny people. We've discussed this in yeah. the previous... You know, you, if you deny and say, right, look at the chaos with the petrol pumps right now. If you say, right, there is no... There is no way of you transporting yourself except bicycle. Yes, there'll be a few ecos who will say that's great and I like my bicycle, same as anyone, but I don't want to be riding it into central London uh, four times a day, you know, moving journeys around. So let's put it that way that, you know, you could say that's the view. But in reality, we are going to keep producing carbon right now for a good few decades, aren't we? I think so, yes. So that's got to go somewhere? Yes. Um, and all the alternatives you know, yeah. j just don't maintain the balance of all the SDGs. Are we any good at this? Is this something that, you know, we should be going, do you know what, the, you know, people talk about the UK and we say, oh, what are we good at? Uh, we're good at debt, we're good at <laughs> financial institutions, you know, a bit of kind of, obviously, what's happened with the coronavirus, brilliant with the, the, the vaccines, but actually, you know, North Sea, the last 50 years, the science there, the engineering there, and what we're doing now, it is a story to be proud of, isn't it? I think we've got really strong fundamentals to be a world leader in this. Right. Um, and I think that is what is also generating the support from this. So, A, there's job protection in the industries, steel, right. which yes. have got an emotional connection to the British. You know, we did have the Industrial Revolution. It did put you know, the UK on the global map. It had some downsides of carbon, which we found out, we're dealing with it now. So, you know, we, I genuinely believe we can lead on the green industrial revolution too. So that, that strength of the industry uh, is a component part of that. The strength of engineering for how to build the carbon capture add-ons onto the chemical plants, onto the cement plants, onto mm. the steel plants is a strong core element uh, that we've got. And then we do have a competitive advantage in the geology which yeah. is, you know, the jewel in the crown, really. So um, we talk on financing. Mm -hmm. Because this is a heavy asset intensive infrastructure, financing is key. So how to get the cost down for the appropriate risks uh, and all of those things. And so I do think that the financing, both here in the UK, is a critical part of the supply chain and getting it ready. And then also helping, uh, you know, the rest of the world do it as well. So I, I think across the board. Yeah. And then also the the economic structure, how to, you know, one of the things which we get asked by other countries is what is the, what we call the clustering. So we're going to industrial regions where there's a high density of industry yeah. close to an offshore storage location so we can capture at lowest cost, store it safely and away from people. People are asking about how do you do that. Then they're asking, okay, what's the economic business models that underpin the power plant that I talked about that made sure that you're still incentivizing wind to come first 
and it's only in the merit order that you know, sort of carbon capture power comes later. Uh, and then all of that economic structure, and then also importantly, the regulatory environment to make sure that yes, you get a fair deal um, for taxpayers and consumers, and you, you just do enough to get businesses to do what they wouldn't do otherwise. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the point. I mean, I assume right now it's all government funded. It's, it's paid for by us, right? The work that's going on right now, the research. You, for this to work, you need companies going, we are, you know, Bose Incorporated, carbon capture specialists. You, you need a private sector to, to invest in it, don't you? Yeah, and I think there's lots of evidence of both. There's a really good public-private collaboration going on right now. There is a lot of private investment coming. What, they, into carbon capture? Yes, um, both in the UK and then also globally. Yeah. And you know, government through UKRI has stimulated a lot of money in on that research. Uh, and then there's, we're just launching now sort of a, a second wave of innovations. And we're not on innovation 1.0, we're on innovation 2.0. Uh, so a lot of that public stimulation matched with private sector. Uh, and I think people can see the direction of travel, you know, the European emissions carbon price is sending a, a very clear trend and direction of where this is going. The UK recently introduced emissions trading scheme is showing a very clear indication of where carbon value is going. And so that is leading in people who want to achieve net zero and are declaring to their employees, to their shareholders, to their customers, we're net zero. Uh, they're now seeing things like carbon capture as cheaper alternative. Yeah. than paying to emit carbon and pay the carbon price yeah. uh, through the scheme. So going back to that earlier cost element, we as society are starting to value carbon a lot more. And so the cheaper alternative to emitting will soon become capture. Now, you and I have talked about this before, which is a carbon tax. We've got COP coming up soon. I hope there will be one. I don't know if there will be, but that would be a real game changer for this whole industry, wouldn't it? I think there's a lot of debate, and it's certainly not my area of expertise <laughs> of the pros and cons. Um, you know, what we hear, you know, for example, from global companies that are located in the UK but want to be zero emissions, mm. is if they're having to pay the incremental cost and solely bear that. Uh, and in these what are called hard-to-abate industries, they're, they're all relatively stressed industries at the moment, of but course. industries that we want to keep. Of course, they're vital. Um, with the jobs that we want to keep. And there's yeah. hundreds of thousands of people employed yeah. in these, and they're in locations where there's limited alternative. Yeah. And if we sort of go back to, I, I don't want to draw the comparison necessarily, but with the coal industry and the rapid transition and then the impact that that had on local communities, mm. yeah, we want to avoid that. Mm. So a, a sensible and a fair transition fair for Mother Gaia, uh, as well as uh, you know, fair for people. So I think that is coming through. And what those industries are saying, if, if we have to bear all those costs, our global shareholders are simply going to move out of the country yeah. where they don't have to bear that yeah. cost and then sell it in and then the UK's got imported carbon. Um, so European Union at the moment is talking about carbon border adjustment. I think there's a lot of principal support for that, but you're also hearing Gilets Jaunes 2.0 as a result of that and lots mm. of industries lobbying for exclusion and exception. We're also hearing you know, Joe Biden talking about an equal global corporate tax. So I think you know, the whole tax bit yeah. is very topical. The right path and answer through that, I don't know. No. One thing that I, I could say, you know, I like all the stuff you're doing. Not just because I like you, Alex, but I like the stuff you're doing. I like this idea. I think it makes sense, all of that. And then the other part of me would go, well, what the hell difference is it going to make if China, India, Brazil, Australia, parts of Africa start whacking up loads of coal and carry on? For this to work, 
we kind of need a global carbon capture industry, don't we? Yes, and as we've talked about, you know, similar to the vaccines, no one's safe till everyone's safe. Yeah. Um, and you know, the ten-point plan uh, in the UK is talking about abating ten megatons per annum. You know, the world pumps out about fifty billion megatons of carbon per annum. So you know that isn't going to make enough of a difference. We know that China, India and others you know, do use coal for their power. Mm. They've got a huge amount of coal resource that they want to use, which also employs people. You know, carbon capture can be applied onto a coal plant to you know, get clean coal. Uh, I'm not as familiar with the technology on that. I think there are more technical difficulties. Um, it's not quite as higher percentage under certain configurations of capture rate uh, and it is more expensive. Um, but I think for the, really wor can be for the world to go through, yeah. and certainly the original programs in the UK were intended with coal, and in the US yeah. it was done with coal, but there are challenges with it and costs with it, and so that would all need sort of thinking through. I, I think it, we should, as the world, should absolutely look at it as a pragmatic path through to global net zero, yeah. And to end with, I mean, you're doing this job. <laughs> Even if no one else is doing it, we should continue to do it. Yes, I mean, I think um, there's a great social media video of the, the mad, lonely dancer. Oh yeah, that Who dances in a field. Yes. And after a little while, Another person everyone's dancing, dancing yeah. in the field. Yeah. And the UK, I think, you know, led on the Industrial Revolution mm -hmm. and has shown that it's soft power, uh, as well as it's you know, raw material in people, talent, geology, uh, can lead the world. So. I genuinely believe, you know, whilst we're not the first off the blocks, you know, like I say, America's been doing this for 50 years, Norway's been doing it for 25 years, uh, the, the scale of what we're proposing to do, uh, which I'm confident we will succeed in, is going to accelerate and overtake uh, and then set us up on a, on a way which encourages others to follow. And then I think if we as the UK can help export that technology, that know-how, that experience, such that you can decarbonise the whole world, then you know, we're safe because everyone's safe. What a good place to end. Alex, thanks very much for joining us on the Net Hero podcast this week. Thank you very much for having me. That was a great conversation with Alex. And I personally do believe in carbon capture and storage. I think we do need it. I think we need it to do it as soon as possible. And the bit he talked about there at the end, about you know how you take other countries, a bit like kind of, you know, the vaccine, we're not safe till everyone's safe. Well, if we're going to take India, China, parts of Africa, Australia even with us, uh, huge swathes of the Far East and America on this journey, then we do need to look at what they're doing around coal and make whatever coal we have to have. And I don't want it myself, but if we have to have it, let's make sure we capture that. Now, before I go, I want to give you a quick trailer for next week. You may have seen the story today on futurenetzero.com all about Volvo deciding that their new EVs will not have any leather in them. And that's a really interesting tale. We have got an interview with a man who's got that mission to try and make leather more sustainable. So listen in next week, find out if the leather in your car is doomed or can have another life. Do get in touch. You'll find out all the details on the outro coming up now. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've been enjoying it and spread the word about the Net Hero podcast. See you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Sumit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero, 
and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.